Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Hello and welcome back. This is Tim Harris. We've got a very, very special uh, presentation for you today, a very special podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, we are interviewing somebody who I've wanted to get on the podcast for a, a long time, Dan Lesniak. And Dan and his wife, Carrie Schull, are one of the most successful real estate teams in the country. By most successful, let me put this in perspective. Last year, they sold, wait for it, wait for it, $732 million worth of real estate. So almost a billion dollars in closed transactions last year alone. Extraordinary. And the, you know, the reason that, one of the main reasons that I want you guys to meet Dan is because I want you to realize Dan is just like all of us. I mean, Dan is a, he's, you know, he was in the Navy. He was somebody who told he could never get into sales. I want you to talk about that, Dan. He's someone who people have said to him, Dan, you'll never be a good salesperson in his first year in real estate. He sold over $20 million in real estate. So his hero's journey is similar to what many of you are working on in your own lives. And so, Dan, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you, Tim. I'm stoked to be on here and to, to share my story. And hopefully your listeners will get some inspiration, maybe some learning out of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm fired up and I've, I've been wanting to be uh, on this show with you for quite some time now. I appreciate that. And I apologize for not having you on sooner. Um, and so listeners, if the audio is not as, as good as it normally is, it's because Dan's schedule worked out, my schedule worked out, Julie and I aren't in our studio. I'm sitting here in the kitchen of our cabin in North Carolina. I could schedule with Dan, and I'm not going to miss this opportunity, and you guys are about to discover why. So Dan, I want to start out by having them understand, like, I, I touched on this, but let me just, I'll set this up a little bit. One of our most listened to podcasts that we've ever done was a series of podcasts on how you could be ultra successful in real estate as an introvert. Um, and mm. getting to know you, I would say that you definitely are more on the introverted scale and the personality sequence, right? So could you explain totally to agree. folks? Well, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you, it is fascinating that some of the most successful people in real estate actually are introverts who've, uh, who trained themselves basically to be more versatile and that's definitely what you are so can you talk a little bit about that and maybe drill down on that story i was sharing with them when uh you had all these you know people tell you that you would never make it in sales which i think is hilarious yeah so i think when you think of it a lot of times people think i'm introverted right i'm an introverted person so therefore i can't go out and meet people and can't do sales and, and i don't think that's that's not how i define introvert by the way i think extroverts get energy from being around people i think introverts get drained by 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 doing a lot of it right so in other words i can i can really uh want to do it right and and want to meet people want to present to them how i can benefit them with, with you know my service or product right i could, I, I think i think i you know in, any introvert can do that i just think at the end of the day you get a little bit drained from that whereas an extrovert gets energy from that so I did have a, an introverted personality. You know, I was in the Navy and submarines, uh, engineering background, did business school, 
and at Georgetown while I was at the uh, working at the Pentagon, and I thought I would get out, get this big consulting job with McKinsey, Bain, BCG, you know, one of these, um, you know, highly thought, you know, you know, luxury brand consulting companies, basically, right? And it turned out none of them uh, were hiring in 2010, 2011, or not at not at a big enough pace, but but they were still interviewing a lot. So I got tons and tons of interviews, and I kept getting this feedback that. Uh, we think you're you're great on the technical aspects, but you know we don't we don't think you'd be good at sales. We think you're too reserved. We think you're, you know, too much of an introvert. Maybe they were thinking, right? So so, who knows, right? At the time, I had a, a consulting job for the the government, and uh, I asked a government contractor in D.C. So I asked some of these interview interviewers, what should I do, right? I want I want another shot at this. I, I don't I don't believe you, right? I think I'd be good at, at this job. And they said, well, go get another experience completely unrelated that might develop your sales background. And at the time, I was buying what was my fifth home uh, in, in my lifespan. I bought my first at the age of 23 with a VA loan, $180,000 in Jacksonville, Florida area, if you can believe that. And um, yeah, so I was buying my, my, my fifth home in the Arlington area, and I thought, well, this is the fifth time I've done this. Uh, I, you know, I always do a lot of the negotiation. I, I was one of those annoying clients you know, that would pester the agent for part of the commission. And I thought, I'll get my real estate license, which I did. And I thought I it would just be some sort of little side hustle, right? Well, because I had this full-time job, I decided to market specifically just to my building, 180 condos, you know, not nothing more, nothing less. And the strategy worked pretty well. Within a few months, I had more commission in my pipeline than my contracting job was going to make in in a year. So I had like a, this 90-day <laughs> commission pipeline that was better than a year of salary. So I remember I remember the day I quit my job. It was one of the most liberating, freeing moments of my life when I told my boss I was quitting, and he asked, "Is there anything we could do to keep you?" Because for them it's just margin, right? Like they're 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 paying you something and billing the government like 2x. So like they they, they need bodies, right? So. Um, yeah, I, I told him, no, there's, there's nothing you can do. Uh, and it, it, just, it just felt so liberating, so free. And I, I went on that year to, I got half the market share in that building. So I got, I got like 11 or 12 million of sales just in one building and 10 million more and mostly in the same zip code, you know, places really close. So I, 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 you know, I did half a million of GCI and never really had to get in a, in a car in my first year. So that's, that's how I uh, got to where we are. And and yeah, I think introverts can, can do quite well in this industry. Well, first of all, I should have said this before, but thank you for the service to our country. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, Julie and I are both introverts, and we, Julie more than me, had to train ourselves to become more extroverted. So it's worth, now some of you guys who are natural extroverts, you're thinking to yourselves, why are we talking about this? Because chances are <laughs> you have an introvert in your life, maybe your kid, maybe your spouse, what have you, that is introverted and unfortunately they have pigeonholed themselves into thinking and maybe societal pressures have pigeonholed themselves into thinking that they're only capable of what introverts do, like working in a nuclear mm. sub, for example. But the reality of it is, is you can do anything in your life. The key is to work to being versatile. The key is to work to having sales skills. So Dan, what was the, between you deciding that you were going to be in real estate, you were going to you know, uh, market and, you know, work into this uh, selling condos, it sounds like, in, your, in the building you were living in, ha you had to, as an introvert, I would assume, have a high level of confidence 
and what you were saying to them before you actually had conversations, or were you actually willing to just jump into the deep end without necessarily knowing how to swim? What was your plan to actually get started? Yeah, my my plan was to, you know, I understood these people, right? Like everybody in the area kind of has some shape or form of a job that revolves around the federal government. They're in a certain price range if you're in the, you know, the same building, right? So, so I was one of them, right? I, I knew what, what their life was like. I knew the lifestyle they liked and being walkable to different areas. And, you know, so, I, so I really knew the audience and, um, you know, I would, I would, go in knowing that I, I'd, I'd go in with like my resume, like it was a job application. Like I put my, like <laughs> in my listing packet, I would have, uh, you know, I went to, you know, the Naval Academy, then Georgetown. And I, I would, I would give them like my, you know, where I worked and what I was doing now. And I, I would give them my whole resume and really communicate the message that I'm a competent professional just like you and I can get the job done. So I, I, I did go in there with confidence and you know presenting to them like that I'm one of I'm I'm one of you and I, and I know how to get the job done just like you know how to get your job done. So you you and uh, Carrie have a huge social following. You guys have your own coaching business. You've written a best-selling book. You've got all this uh, you know, high level of achievement outside of even selling real estate or certainly your military and your uh, other career. Uh, but the, it's, it, it's fascinating. I want listeners to really drill down on what he just said. One of the tendencies, and we'll move off the introverted subject here in a second. One of the tendencies of um, an introverted person is they're going to take too long to get started. They're going to basically be in this stage mm. of, you know, needing to learn more, need to get my systems organized, need to learn, know what to say, role play forever, get my presentations down, work on my brand, work on my logo, got to make 14 more TikTok videos. In other words, they're always looking for more stuff to do before they actually start doing the stuff that they should have been doing in the first place, which is having direct conversations with, you know, decision-making adults about buying and selling real estate. And what I want everyone to hear, because it's really important, especially for those of all of us introverted folks, is that you did not wait to be perfect at what you wanted to do. You just jumped into the deep end and you did it. And from in, in the process of doing it, you learned what you needed to know. In other words, you did not wait to know and then get into work. You learned while you were earning. Is it, did I just summarize it effectively? Yeah, I lost, I lost the first two or three listings I went on. So, yeah, it didn't happen right away. I got good at hunting and good at focusing. And, you know, back then, you'd, like, I would look up Zillow, make me moves. We were in an inventory-constrained environment that year. So I would, I would find buyers and then find out what kind of home they were looking for and then go find them off-market. So I got very task-oriented and process-oriented. I, I do think that's an advantage that introverts have is that I think – I think introverts can get very task oriented and, and, you know, get the job done. And so I think that if you really hone in on that, lean on that, I think that that's an area as an introvert that you can use as, as an advantage. I think extroverts, on the other hand, sometimes can get too people um, focused, which is great. And, you know, you should obviously love people, care about the relationships. But I think sometimes they let that get in the way of moving that person forward in the process, right? And closing them on what is ultimately good for them, for what they want. Uh, uh, yeah. The, in other words, the introverted person is going to take more time, have a deliberate plan. 
be more uh, be find create and then find uh, a system that works. Uh, you know, hopefully not through trial and error. Hopefully they're going to you know shorten the path by signing up for you know coaching and training so they can follow a path that's going to get them up the mountain the quickest. And then I agree with what you said. Once an introvert has a plan that works, they then work the plan. Generally speaking, they're, they're going to earn consistently. They're natural at doing what they don't want to do, and they don't want to do it at the highest level. Whereas an, int- an extrovert is going to be naturally wanting to do more social stuff, things that don't necessarily have a direct correlation between effort and results. So let's move. Let's move on. Now, I you know, started the show by telling all of them that you guys sold almost a billion dollars in real estate in one year. That makes you one of the top. What, where were you guys on the uh, the national team list of biggest you know brokers? What, what, it was like top ten, wasn't it? I I believe so. I, I think they keep changing the categories on there. I don't I don't even know if I really look at that anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more business oriented than I consider that kind of a vanity number. Um, it is, but. But yeah, somewhere I think over the years it's it's been anywhere from you know top ten to top thirty. We're usually in that range somewhere. Yeah, Wall Street Journal is the list I was thinking of. So you, um, now, so that was your first year in real estate. You you owned the game. Your broker then fires you. What happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I I. I yeah, so back to the numbers business, right? I got pretty smart about. Um, title companies. I had a, a client who wanted to get out of corporate law. I thought, well, um, there's other brokers that have these title companies that agents can buy into, right? Uh, and have shares of. Well, I talked to one of my attorney clients and he's like, yeah, let's, we can do that. I'm, I have some title background. And, and so I ended up forming a title company starting and, and started selling shares to uh, agents in my office. The broker didn't like that because he had his own exclusive title uh, company. He told me it was illegal, by the way, which I'm like, well, that's that's interesting because this national brand down the street's doing it. Are they are they flagrantly uh, <laughs> violating the law, right? Which I, I doubted. So um, I had a 72-hour ultimatum to either disband it or leave. So um, yeah, I, I walked out of that office and up the street and uh, joined Keller Williams. So you were at Keller. So that's where you met Carrie, correct? Yeah, yeah. Carrie was. Uh, she moved from. She she started her brokerage career at Remax, and then had. Uh, yeah, I think she moved to like six to eight months prior to that. So she she was kind of new at Keller Williams. She was number one in the office, and the uh, the first thing the uh, the team leader there told me to do was, I like what you're doing with the title company. Carrie's not using ours. You should try to recruit her to <laughs> to to use your title company. So um, that was. That was that was how I met Carrie. I was pursuing her for her title business. So it turns out you're a very good recruiter because now you guys have three little kids. <laughs> four, four. <laughs> we actually have four. Oh, four. Um, well, that was yeah, fast. Four, that four was three kids. yesterday. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So as far as like yeah, so, you guys, so then, we met. We met at. Uh, I was gonna say we, we met at Keller Williams. Um, started started dating shortly after, and I think within a year and a half we were we were married. So it didn't didn't take too long, and we we merged our teams at the time. And about a year and a half later, we we went and formed our own independent brokerage. So we yeah, when we left Keller Williams, we were number four in the world, I believe, for them in in total sales volume, and then uh, we were. 
I think we were doing 150, 200 million at that time. Like you know, it was it was it was climbing fast. And then we we left eight years ago, started our own brokerage, and have built built out a, a pretty large team ever since. Well, 40 agents, right? So let's. Um, I know uh, some people are think. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it, I think it's closer to 50 actually, but yeah. Okay, sorry. So listeners, there's a little bit of a delay. There's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. Um, so let me take a half step back for those who are now feeling overwhelmed by the fact that you guys are so big. It, take, it took you from the second you got your license to uh, like how many years have you been in the business total? About 10 and a half right now. How long did it take for you um, to earn a million dollars in commissions? Gross or net? That net's my next question. Okay. Um, I think gross, we hit it in 2014. And then net, I think, was 2015. So I think it was two and a half years to get to, get to gross and three and a half years to get to net for that number. Okay, so it, that's amazing, right? And so let's explain to the listeners, and Dan, you're the MBA guy from Georgetown, right? Not me. So explain to listeners who are just getting started, like, you know, obviously gross versus net. We assume, everyone assumes they know what that means, but could you please explain to them on a very, you know, using real estate math what that actually means? Yeah, so when I, when I talk gross commission income, I'm, I'm talking like how much commission, you know, came in. Uh, when I like the, the the total revenue, right, if you will, like how much how much did buyers and sellers pay to us? When uh, I'm talking net income, I'm talking about okay, we we paid out this much money, had this much expenses. What was what was our actual real profit, right? Because I think I think sometimes the industry focuses too much on sales volume or gross commissions, and at the end of the day, it's it's what you're able to take home and really at the end of the day it's what you're able to save 100 percent, and that's one of the things i'm I hope we can get to on this uh interview if not we'll do it on another one it's all the amazing things you and carrie have done to make yourselves into deca millionaires from having a very effective cash flowing business having lots of profit then reinvesting that into things that compound your wealth and obviously make you more profit and you guys are you know incredibly effective at that and that's obviously one of the reasons you've been so successful but it's a fascinating thing because not a lot of agents realize that at the end of the day, your real estate brokerage or your real estate team, the product that you produce in your business is happy customers and sold homes and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if you really drill down, the product that you're producing in your real estate business is profit. And if you're not producing profit in your business, you don't really have a business. You have what we call a nonprofit business. So if your goal is to have enough profit left over that you then can reinvest that money and compound your wealth, rental properties, apartment syndications, all these things that these guys do, VRBOs, you're going to have to have a big profit margin. And Dan touched on this. The industry is obsessed with how many houses did you sell or you know, what was your dollar volume? But you know, once you are in this business for any amount of time, you're, especially as you experience you know, market uh, undulations, you quickly realize what matters more than anything is your net income. Because with that net income, like you guys could, you know, we, Dan and I know agents, all of us know agents, that will talk about, I earned, you know, $3 million or we sold 300 homes last year. 
you know, I, this is an example I came across. Uh, Dan and I were all on a call earlier. There's, you know, teams out there, brokers out there that will earn a million dollars in commission, and the team leader or the broker will maybe earn 150, 160 thousand net. And you know, that's not bad actually, because most brokerages have a net of less than three percent. So million commissions equals 30 grand. But let's say you're an efficient team, and this is a good example. You earn a million dollars, you're keeping around 150 grand. I want listeners to really internalize what I just said because it really is powerful. Because here's the reason why. If you earn around 225 to 230 grand, you will actually have the same net income as the agent who's this is the conversation we just had with Amanda, right? You'll have the same net income as the agent who has the team that's earning a million dollars. So, look, nothing against forming teams, nothing against hiring staff, nothing against building your brand, nothing against any of those things. But just go into it with eyes open. You will have to do more of the uh, boots on the ground type work when you don't have a team, but your profit margins are going to be 75, 85, 90% versus when you have a team, you're going to keep, you know, you're going to hope that they're going to be around 12 or 15%. Not judging, just asking you to make a decision with eyes open because this is uh, a lot of agents get into this industry and they feel, I mean, pressures from everywhere to form a team. But if you're wanting to form a team, go into it knowing what the financial implications are down the road. Did I encapsulate that well, Dan? I was waiting for you to drink coffee before I asked you a question to make it awkward, yeah. by the way. No, I, I, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think your numbers are pretty spot on. And yeah, I was, I was at like... 75%, 80% profit margin when I was a solo agent. When I when I had a small team, it you know got down into the 50s. When the team grew, it it went down a little more and yeah, so I think I think most big teams end up in the double digit percentages, but it's better than uh, it's better than the brick and mortar broker margins, right? Those are like single digit margins, low single digit margins. So uh, those are all really good points to think about when you're ultimately designing how you want to structure your your real estate career. Well, not just yeah, your real estate career for sure, but also your financial future, right? You're 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 a path pathway to creating financial independence. Um, I really want to ask a question about lead generation because I know everyone's frothing at the mouth to know how your lead generation funnels work. That's agents always want to know about leads. So let's do that. Let's talk about your lead generation. And I'll, So here's the question, and then I'm going to ask you a second question. So if you were coaching an agent right now who's Dan Lesnick, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, and this agent were to ask you, what are the two or three primary sources of lead generation that I should focus on? I don't have a lot of money. I don't want to spend a lot of money. I don't have a lot of time for something to work. What should I be doing? And secondarily, then, I want to talk to you about your pathway from massive producer, single agent, to small team, to huge team, to independent broker, and now to what you're doing. So, and in, in, go for it. <laughs> sure. No, I, I you know, I, I wrote in my, my book, um, I think the best way to approach, you know, starting off or adding new business is to go through a process that I call segmentation, targeting, and positioning. So I think you need to look at your overall market, break it up into segments, pick your target segment, which I, I, I tell people don't make it too big, right? That's, you know, you don't want to try to go market to 10,000 homes when you're starting out. Um, you know, 
define it more narrow, narrow, you know, it, it can't be too small, but I've rarely met an agent that struggles with that. Uh, you know, there has to be enough business there that if you became the top one, two, or three agents in that segment, you know, it would give you a good income. And then positioning, how do you position yourself to that group of people that will add the most value? Now, that, that a lot of people immediately go to geographic on that, uh, which is natural and, and certainly can be done that way. You know, you pick a 1,000 homes that you're going to really uh, dominate, right, or 2,000 homes. But it, it can also be a prospecting technique, right? Like you can become the master of the FISBO market or the expired and withdrawn market. So if I were a new agent starting out, I would either pick a group of a thousand homes that, you know, I'm going to do door knocking, phone calling, direct mail, try to get emails, do email newsletter, or I would do a FISBO expired strategy. I think in particular in the next 12 to 24 months, I was actually just talking about this on my podcast with uh, Tarek Al Musa. I think expireds are going to increase because sellers are probably used to the pricing from three to six months ago and they're, they're gonna be stubborn about it at first and it might take a, you know, a listing or two to, uh, or, or agent or two uh, that, that fails to get there, right? We've all heard the saying or maybe some people haven't, you, in life, you want to be the firstborn son, uh, second wife, or third real estate agent, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, if you're the third real estate agent to get that listing, chances are by that time, they, they are going to be willing to sell it at a price that it will sell. So I think right now, I think that's something that people may have, may have gotten away from in the last two years. There weren't a ton of expireds, right, in 2020 and 21. So maybe those are coming back. So I would I would pick, you know, either a small, tightly uh, defined geographic area I would or, or expireds or withdrawns. Uh, and also don't forget about your SOI, right? Even when you're new, uh, start, start telling, you know, friends, family, past colleagues, people you know, like don't, don't be the, the secret real estate agent. I absolutely adore what you just said. Uh, because in, uh, we, you know, first thing centers of influence, past clients, that's a, so you have proactive and you have passive marketing, right? And I love what you were drilling down on expires. Could not agree more. This is probably, uh, in the last since like say 2008, this is going to be the best opportunity for expired hunting that there's ever been for sure, for all the reasons you just said. Um, and then if agents were to, uh, focus on becoming an expired hunter, <laughs> right? Learn how to proactively lead generate pre-qualify, present, negotiate, and lead follow-up, and focusing your best energies on, on going after expired listings 100%. And number two, I love what you said about centers of influence and past clients. Those two things, take your time, do take some skill that you can learn on the job, but they don't cost you any money. Um, and absolutely, positively, 100% agree. So, Dan, you guys have um, been successful and ultra-successful, I would say, in the industry. You have had, you guys were with Keller Williams, Kerry was with Remax, you were with a different broker. You guys had a, obviously an enormous, very successful real estate team. You guys are in multiple states. You do apartment syndication. You do all the other things. You've been uh, independent for a long time. You had, you made a really big change in your business recently. What was that and why did you do it? Yeah, so I decided to move to EXP Realty, I, thanks to you. Um, I wish you told me about it earlier, by the way. I always kind of tell people about that. But the, the reason is, uh, you know, EXP is the first 
brokerage at scale to eliminate the expenses, the cost, and you know, frankly, like the lack of innovation at the what I call the big box brick and mortar brokerage model. So they've eliminated that that expensive layer and replaced it with this virtual system. They were virtual before virtual became a thing. They were founded by someone who sold tens and tens of millions of dollars of real estate. That's that's kind of rare. Like there's a, there's a lot of founders right now that never sold a home. So you know, how can the company be designed for agents if that's, you know, not the case? Like, I, I don't understand that. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I don't understand that. Uh, I love the fact that they are agent-owned, right? There's a ton of brokers out there that claim to be agent-centric. Uh, EXP is agent-owned. I think it's, what, 70% of the company is owned by the agents or the founders. Most of these big companies are owned 10% or less from the, by the founders and the agents. So what does that mean? You know, you may think that's not a big deal. Well, I think it is a big deal. I think if 90% of the companies owned by Wall Street or foreign investors, like they don't, they don't have the agents' best interest in, in heart. It's, it's profit, you know, profit, right? Profit-minded. So I don't think you can be agent-centric unless you're agent-owned. EXP is the first company that has been agent owned at this scale that I've ever heard of. And, and lastly, there's a huge opportunity to participate in something called revenue share. I think it's really cool that eXp is, uh, was founded from the beginning with the discipline and commitment to operate. I, I think it's approximately half of the revenue, right? So what do they do with the other half. half of that revenue or approximately that? Yeah they give that back to the agents that grow it, right? Most brokerages, if you recruit another uh, agent, you know, maybe they give you a little bit off your cap that year or, you know, a few thousand dollars or something, maybe, right? That's like the best case scenario. Well, at eXp, they, they reward you with uh, ongoing revenue share, right? Depending on how many agents you bring on and how many they, they, they bring on. And I've done a ton of different businesses outside of just selling real estate, like joint ventures, developments, syndications, long-term rentals. You know, I've got a bunch of short-term rentals and I love the, uh, the income that comes from that, but it doesn't come without headache. It doesn't come without putting in massive amounts of capital, time, liability, risk. I know you own a bunch of rental homes and you know, after looking at that, doing that, studying people at eXp, studying all different broker models, by the way, this is not a decision I took lightly. Uh, I don't think there's a greater passive income opportunity for the people that want to participate in it, um, which naturally can occur in your normal course of business of selling homes. I don't think there's a greater passive income opportunity in the, the history of real estate. And I think that's why this company has grown at the fastest pace in real estate history compared to any other brokerage ever. So it's just why. getting started. I yeah, it's just getting started. EXP is yeah in twenty two different countries, and it is it is really truly. This is what I say, and this is really I encapsulates it at least for me. This is for many of us. You know, I'm fifty two, and you know, you're not 50, You're ten years younger than me, basically. But for many of us, this is the last best business opportunity um, of our lifetimes. Now, I didn't say last business opportunity. There's there'll be lots of those. Those always are coming at you. But the last best business opportunity. 
Because if you look at um, Mr. MBA, you'll remember this better than me. The product adoption cycle, you know, early adopters and then laggards and all the rest of it. If you look to see where EXP is in its growth curve, because I hear sometimes people saying, well, EXP, the, you know, it's the, it's the best time to join is, you know, three years ago or five years ago. Well, maybe that was a great time to join because you would have had the benefit. But the fact is, is if you look at EXP's growth curve, it's just getting started. Um, across the country and really across the world, so many, you said it too, agent-centric, that's so funny. Everyone says agent-centric because they offer you marketing in your office or they're going to have a, you know, a barbecue on Saturday during the football game or whatever in the parking lot for the agents. That's okay, that's nice. Agent-centric is where you put your money where your mouth is. you got revenue share. You've got obviously lots of ability to get stock, stock awards, buy stock at a discount. You get health insurance. You get all these other different programs. There's an incredible relocation department that's about to open up. There's luxury that's about to open up. And the thing that's really fascinating uh, to me is that so many massive agents like you and Carrie are moving over to EXP. Uh, and it's not just agents and teams and brokers, but it's big brokerages as well. There's a lot of people whose franchise agreements are coming to an end. And they maybe were thinking that, well, I have to suffer having only 2 or 3% margins for my brokerage. You can actually do what you're doing, do what you love doing. You, maybe there's aspects of your brokerage that you really love. You love working with the agents. You love mentoring agents. You love coaching agents. But the financial side of it is a little bewildering. And sometimes what people do is they get locked into this belief that it is what it is. I can't do anything about it. Well, what if you could just take what you love the most about um, being a team leader or you know, being a coach or you know, owning a brokerage? Take what you love most and set the other things aside. And so when you're hearing from somebody like uh, Dan and Kerry, you've got to realize these guys have been up and down many mountains, not just one, and they're making the decision to move over to EXP. And Dan, you're a spreadsheet guy. I mean, you were trained to be a spreadsheet guy at uh, you know, Georgetown. So when you were doing the math on this, can you kind of get into the weeds a little bit and explain to the listeners? Like you, you even compared EXP. Let's not mention the other uh, brokerages that you're comparing it against. But why, from a financial perspective, from an analytical perspective, right, can you walk people through how financially this made more sense than being independent? Well, I, I think, you know, a, one, one kind of objection that, you know, maybe I, or misconception, if call it, that I, that I previously had is that like, this is a recruiting company, right? Like they don't do sales, they just do recruiting. And I think it's important to uh, address this, right? Less than, I think it's what, less, less than 20% or less than 25% actually participate in the revenue share, right? So there's a lot of people out there that are, are so what does that mean, right? That means like out of 80,000 agents, 60,000 or so are just there because it's a better brokerage model, right? Because it's saving them money. So, you know, when I look at a, you know, I've, I've had several conversations the last few weeks with new agents, you know, high producing agents, teams and and when i look at the numbers like new agents are typically saving twenty thirty thousand dollars right on on the the same amount of volume that they would do like we just talked to a high a high producer uh before the show that would probably save a hunt was like one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year right? uh, it's a it was it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in just the first nine months of this year so for the whole year, right. she'll probably save being the XP, save, put in her pocket around $200,000 extra. Yeah, and then you, you look at, right. And that's like, if, even if you never, 
recruit anyone else, which like if you're doing that kind of business, it naturally will happen. People are going to be like, oh, well, you know, if this person's there, I want to I want to do it. Right. So um, but even if that doesn't happen, you know, you compound a six figure amount of money every year. Uh, it's it's millions of dollars if you have a 20 year career over the course of 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 your you know career. So there's a tremendous financial opportunity, financial savings. And uh, yes, even independent brokerages, like, you know, you no longer have to have the brick and mortar office. You no longer have to hire a broker. You get E&O taken care of. You don't have to, you don't, here, here's the big savings. Like if you don't have to insert yourself into the legal contract and broker questions, how much more money are you gonna save because now those efforts are diverted into the high, highest you know, dollar productivity hours, right? Which is recruiting people for your team and generating leads. If you can focus on that, let, let EXP take care of you know, the, the operating system, if you will, uh, the broker questions, the liability, the E&O, the, you know, but basically like keeping the lights on, right? If EXP does that and you're focused on generating sales and generating people to handle sales, how much more money are you going to make? So you, you touched on quite a few things. Uh, first of all, just to, um, you said, and this is true, you don't have to recruit anybody at EXP, and it still makes incredible sense. If you just do the math on it, it's very simple. EXP is a home run for you, even if you don't want to recruit or sponsor anybody. Even if you don't care about revenue share, that's fine. Um, and the next thing you said is that EXP's revenue share does give you an a alternative, a, a additional pathway forward to build passive income into the into the future. Dan and I, Julie and I, Carrie and Dan, they did it through rental properties. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of inherent risk and time and cost and liability that's associated with rental properties. With revenue share, when you're receiving revenue share, there's no cost against it. When you're receiving receiving revenue share. There's no, like, you're not answering the broker agent question. You're not really doing, once your group gets to a certain size, there's very few things that you're actually required to do. And when you get that wire transfer on the 20th of every month, it's, you know, the seventh wonder of the world for sure. So here's something else I want you guys to listen to what he said. If you have a broker or a team, and right now, let's be honest, you might convince yourself that you like spending time on the nights and the weekends and while you're, you know, walking around uh, downtown Paris on vacation, you might kid yourself that you like answering all your agents' questions about this, that, and the other. But wouldn't you just love to purge that from your life and still have the benefits of being an independent broker or team? Well, you can't because when you move over to EXP, you're going to have their brokers that are going to be then responsible legally for answering all those questions. Now, some of you, and I totally respect this, you know, Dan and Carrie are similar. You guys have an, they have, you know, you might have a very established uh, brand. Carrie Shaw team, very established brand. Well, that brand is going to stay the same. There is no, uh, you're not, this isn't a franchise. The EXP is not going to roll in and say, change your signs, change your colors, answer your phone saying EXP Realty. None of that. This is not like you're walking and you're not becoming, you know, Star Trek fans, right? I warned you I was an introvert, which means I'm a nerd. So you're not going to all of a sudden find the big Borg cube, you know, rolling into your front yard and trying to assimilate you into the system. Doesn't work that way. At EXP, it re they recognize you are the brand. EXP does not want to dominate you. EXP wants you to be the brand, and that means that if you have an established, like I've recruited several, you know, large brokerages, 
And they didn't want to lose their brand. It was something that was generational, third generation. Their grandfather started it, that sort of thing. Fantastic. Keep your brand. And what it's going to be, it's going to say, you know, Bob Smith Real Estate in very small print, depending on how it works in your state. You know, so that's something we have to be in compliance about. Brokered by eXp Realty. If you have a really great brand like these guys do, and you don't want to scuttle your brand, you don't want to mess with it. Consumers recognize you as being the market leader. No worries. Carry Shaw team, brokered by eXp Realty. That's all it is. So a lot of times that will be something for a lot of brokers and teams and all the rest of it. You've spent millions of dollars, some of you. You've taken lifetimes to build up this stature in the community. Of course we want you to keep it. Of course we want you to preserve that. That's what, you know, one of the greatest, I, I think, if you think how simple that is, but how nobody else does that other than eXp, it's pretty miraculous, really. EXP doesn't want to dominate you. What EXP essentially operate, it's like your professional operating system for your individual agent brokerage or, you know, real estate practice or your big team real estate practice. We're the operating system. We're the backbone to make it so that you can essentially, you know, sell as many homes and make as much money as you want to. Oh, and by the way, there's health insurance. Oh, by the way, there's, you know, it's NASDAQ. It's publicly traded. Oh, by the way, you get stock discounts. You get stock awards. Oh, did we mention revenue share? So did I, uh, anything else that I left out was, that was compelling to you when you were making the decision? <laughs> well, two quick points. One, you mentioned they're on the NASDAQ, so, which means you can look up their, their profit and loss statements, their financials, and, you know, compare it to what, to what other companies that are publicly traded are doing on, on, on the, the P&L side, right? They actually make a profit, so, um, which a lot of people can't say. Um, you know, I won't name any, but... They, they, they are profitable, which means they are in a position to consistently deliver value to the agents. I think the other thing to point out, because we, we talked about branding a little bit, and there's this misconception out there that the brand of the broker matters, and I've, I've never found that to be the case. I think maybe 20 to 30 years ago, there, there might have been an argument for that. Like maybe people back then before the internet, before Zillow, they would call up the local office and say, hey, can I be assigned an agent? Well, that I've never found that to happen in selling hundreds and thousands of homes that were, where someone calls and asks for a certain brand uh, broker agent. You know, I, I was number one in my, my Century 21 office when I started off, did tons of volume at Keller Williams, and I, I never got a lead from the broker, and I'm not criticizing them for that at all. That's, that's just not what they're designed to do. I think the branding, and this is, this is coming out in a white paper that we're putting out uh, soon, but the branding is completely and lead generation and marketing that is all at the agent and or the team level if you're a if you're an independent if you're a team leader solo agent like you are the brand no one else is and and exp does not interfere with that matter of fact not only not interfere with it but they help you to scale it up there's a whole marketing division mm. inside exp that agents have access to that will work for you for free there's a tech team if you <laughs> like um I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh because I'm guilty of this as anybody, but if you're having problems with your own computer, you can actually log into eXp's tech team. They'll then get access to your computer, and they'll, they're going to help you fix whatever the problem is. So for those of you who are not, you want to join a tech-enabled brokerage, but you're personally not that tech-enabled, I'm right there with you. Doesn't worry. It, don't worry that eXp has got you covered. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's interesting also what you said. You're right. I mean, when Julie and I were selling real estate primarily in the 90s, uh, you would occasionally have a seller, we were with REMAX, called the REMAX office 
and say, I want to interview an agent. And the person at the front desk would have a list of who gets the next lead that comes in and all the rest of it. Um, and then you'd be there and this, that same seller would have chosen an agent for Remax, an agent from XYZ and an agent from ABC. And we're going to make you guys compete. Who's going to get our listing? You're right. That doesn't happen anymore. Nowadays, what people are doing is they gravitate and really that only lasted for maybe a year or two. And then it all started uh, gravitating towards agent branding that dominated the markets in, in, around the country and the world really. And so now again, what EXP, so if you guys, Dan and I are drilling down on this, because for those of you who are stuck in this paradigm that your broker matters, and it, as far as marketing and lead generation, it really doesn't. And it, you, I'll prove it to you. It's very simple. Um, <laughs> ask your last closings, ask your last five closings, 10 closings, what broker you're with. Just ask them. Bet they don't know. Bet they don't know because they don't care. They chose to do business with you, not the broker. You know, I know. Right. We're crossing lines with regards to this legal semantics, but I'm talking strictly from a marketing perspective. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, the opportunity with regards to um, compounding your wealth. Oh, you said this other thing, too. I think it's important to mention this. We're talk, talking about revenue share again. The revenue share groups will grow. Like when you're at when you're you'll get into EXP like we're just talking with that gal right before today's uh, uh, podcast, Dan. You'll get into EXP, and what you're going to discover is by you joining EXP, there's going to be people that are that are EXP curious, agents that are EXP curious, at your old broker, maybe people you did co-ops with or things like that. They're going to ask you about EXP. They're then going to join EXP. You're going to be the person that answers the questions. You're going to be the person that sponsors them. And then by accident, in a lot of cases, you're going to all of a sudden start building revenue share. Now, am I oversimplifying it? I am not. Some of the largest... Revenue share organizations at EXP are, you know, basically when you see the names of who they are, I promise you, you don't know their names. They're just normal agents. They're not, you know, celebrities of any variety. They're normal agents who you've never heard of, who basically sponsored five people here, five people here, five people there. Those people sponsored people. And next thing you know, they're making over a million dollars a year. You think I'm making this up? I'm not. And we'll be more than happy to prove it to you. So, Dan, you're obviously moving over. You know, EXP is your way forward for all the reasons, reasons we've discussed it. I think you will easily become one of the uh, most prolific recruiters at EXP. I would be surprised if you didn't. Your carries reputation in the industry is second to none. So if anyone's out there that has a team or a brokerage that wants to join EXP, Dan, how, or an individual agent, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, how can they get a hold of you? What's the simplest way? Well, before I tell them that, which, uh, which I gladly will do, I just want to say that what I also love about this, this model, for specifically for me, is it really ties into a lot of the things I have done. I've spent a lot of years selling real estate, recruiting, training, building a coaching company, doing a podcast, building up social media, right? Well, now I can train other people into you know, how to do that. I can plug them into hyperfast agent coaching, give them that as a benefit of being in my group, right? I can get on the recruiting calls with them when they have interested people or teach them how to do that. I've recruited hundreds of agents over the years, you know, in our Washington DC area. So every, you know, I have passive investments. I know how to syndicate condo deals. These are all things that, that will be available to members in our group. You know, we're going to, we're going to train them how to do whatever they want because I, and we're not, and we're going to do it at no cost, right? Um, normally you have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars a month to get these kind of benefits. They get all of that for free because 
I want them to grow. The bigger they grow, the bigger we grow. It's the, it's the first system of its kind in real estate at scale that, that that's possible. So if you want to learn more about it, you know, pick up your phone and send me a text message, 703-638-4393. That goes right to my cell phone, 703-638-4393. And that's your real cell phone. It's not going to an AI bot. It's not going to somebody overseas that's going to answer your text for you. This is really going directly to you, correct? Correct. Right <laughs> well, get ready. Right You're going to get a lot gonna, of that. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, well, it's, it's, I, it's it, fun for me. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having the most fun that, that I've had um, in, in, you know, in, in my real estate career, for sure. It's, I'm, I'm helping one of my agents e- everywhere, so it's, it's magical. One of my EXP, a soon-be-your EXP mentors, is a guy named Gene Frederick. And Gene was one of the first people, I think he joined EXP when it had 550 agents or something. And now you know, EXP has 84,000 agents. And he, he, had a, uh, he has a slogan, it's called making real estate fun again. And it really is. And the real estate, the reason mm. it makes it fun again, aside from all the benefits of EXP, is because you're around people who see a, a, a future that is so incredibly bright that's not dependent on interest rates or home sales or politics. People, when you have the ability to do what you're doing at a high level, being supported at a high level, and then know that you can also create enough passive income that you don't have to wait until you're in your 60s to retire. You, I know people who are in their 30s who have been associated with EXP for less than five years who are effectively retired. And it's because EXP is, you will be joining right at the perfect growth curve and you will find agents everywhere that are EXP curious that definitely want to join you at EXP. This is the, like I said, the last best business opportunity of many of our lifetimes. I suppose if you're listening to us and you're 12 years old, you might have some others that pop up along the way mm. that maybe are better. But right now, this is pretty much the last best business opportunity of all of our lifetimes. So, Dan, if they want to uh, talk with you about being sponsored uh, by you at EXP Realty, get all the benefits of being associated with you and Carrie and your coaching organization and de facto be associated with Julie and I and all the benefits being associated with us, right? So they get two benefits by being associated with our organization. How can they get hold of you? What was the cell phone number again? Yeah, it was 703-638-4393. All right, so next podcast I'm going to do with this guy. Here's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the pillars of wealth creation and wealth preservation. Um, And we're going to do this sometime in the next 30 days. We're going to talk about buying rentals. We're going to talk about VRBOs. We're going to talk about apartment syndication. And we're going to put all these together in such a way that you guys then can start creating more of a financial pathway forward with ultra clarity based on someone who's actually done it, not just somebody you're seeing on YouTube that, you know, may or may not have actually done it. Dan, I really appreciate your, you being on our podcast. I certainly appreciate you guys aligning with Julie and I DXP Realty. Listeners, again, if you want to get hold of Dan, if you want to join what probably will be one of the most successful real estate uh, organizations of all time, Dan and Carrie at EXP Realty. What's your cell phone number one last time? It is 703-638-4393. All right. Dan and I have to get on another Zoom I'm, call. You guys have a fantastic day. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Tim. This was a blast. My pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.